We're turning in the scriptures this morning to the book of Hebrews and to the last chapter there, chapter 13. Hebrews and chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honourable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priests for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. For I have written a letter unto you in few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints, they of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads again, ask the Lord's help. Our Father, as we open the scriptures together, we pray that thou wilt give us understanding of the connections of the word of God, and certainly there are many, and... We pray, Lord, that those selected and those considered this morning may be a benefit and a blessing to our souls. And, Lord, that they might benefit us in thy kingdom and bring us also to glorify thy name. For thou only art worthy, 
And we pray, Father, that all things that we do may be unto the praise of thy glory. Touch our hearts, we pray thee. Lord, we pray that we might not go from this house untouched. Lord, that we might know that we have been in the presence of the Lord this day. We pray, Father, those things that we consider together may remain with us for our blessing and for thy praise. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, the verse which I want to bring as a motto this year, and I just noted as uh, we were reading that, that last year's motto is also in this chapter. Uh, we're in verse 14 for here we have no continuing city but we seek one to come that was the motto last year uh, and uh, I've returned to this same chapter once again Uh, but the motto I want to bring before you this year are just the words at the end of verse 5 which is a a quotation from the Old Testament Uh, it's a free quotation but nevertheless uh, it comes there from the Old Testament for he hath said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee i will never leave thee nor forsake thee and those are tremendous words to have with us in every situation of life and there are many times when we can feel forsaken and many times when we feel alone and there are times indeed when we are alone Uh, and just at this moment you'll know that my wife's been in hospital for uh, eight weeks and so i've been alone but it's good to know that the lord is with us and he has said that i will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So I want to consider this, uh, these words with you under uh, three headings, as we uh, so often do. First of all, the citation, and that is to look at where this comes from, because the apostle uh, has said here, he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Secondly, the context, and that is obviously very important as we read the scripture, not just to take a verse and, uh, and just take a few words and take them, let them stand alone. Uh, There are many cults which do that, and we don't want to be a cult. We want to walk walk with the Lord uh, and uh, take in the whole counsel of God. Uh, And then thirdly, the comfort, and that, of course, is the comfort that we derive from this verse and from these words. First of all, then, the citation. Where does the Apostle Paul get this from? How is he able to say with authority that the Lord hath said, or he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee well there are five candidates uh, that i could find in the scripture and they are variously found Uh, genesis 28 and verse 15 would be the first of those where the lord speaks to abraham abraham of course is spoken of as being our father uh, in the faith and that that uh, faith is so often held up before us as being a tremendous faith indeed. And indeed, Abraham rejoiced to see Christ's day, uh, the Lord Jesus said. So in Genesis twenty-eight fifteen, we read the words, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. The second of those verses is Deuteronomy in chapter 31 and verse 6. And there we read these words, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. There's a a good candidate for the words which the, uh, the, the preacher here is speaking. Thirdly is that which we have already read together from Joshua in chapter 1. 
In verse 5 we read, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now, the fourth of the verses is First Samuel 12 and verse 22. The other is First Chronicles 28, 20. Uh, so as you can probably uh, imagine which of those was actually written first, uh, we cannot tell. Uh, but First Samuel 12 and verse 22, uh, we read, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. And the last of these then, First Chronicles 28 and verse 20. And David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Now, that verse in particular was encouragement to me because it was one of the verses which the Lord gave me uh, when I went into the ministry uh, to encourage me into the ministry. And so to read it here uh, after uh, lighting upon this verse in in Hebrews uh, was a great encouragement to me because sometimes we can feel uh, that the Lord has uh, has just left us and uh, we are flaying about in the dark uh, and uh, so that's a great encouragement to, to have that verse uh, this uh, this time <clears throat> but you will note that it says in that verse he will not fail thee uh, he will not fail thee nor forsake thee and so these are words which are spoken by David to his son Solomon not quite then what the uh, words are here. He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But nevertheless, uh, the same uh, thought there is given that the Lord is ever with us and does not give up on us. Uh, we see in that first verse as well uh, that uh, the Lord says, I will not leave thee. But it's not complete for it doesn't say I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. This is not quite what, the, what is written here. The middle one, though, uh, interestingly, Dr. Paisley, of course, in the, in the past would have said that you look at the first and you look at the last and you look at the second and you look at the fourth and then you look at the middle one and the middle one is always uh, quite pertinent. Uh, the middle one is that one from Joshua, which seems to be the direct quotation here, even though it is actually a free paraphrase, what is termed a free paraphrase. So it's not if you went to the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, the words are not identical, uh, which would be a direct quotation. So it's a free paraphrase of what is being said, but certainly it is said to Joshua this in verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So of the five candidates then, here is the favoured case, uh, where the Lord speaks to Joshua and uh, tells him that he will be with him in all that he does. Interestingly, Joshua is one of the few characters in the scripture where we don't really read uh, anything of his weaknesses and of his failings. The greatest men in scripture had failings. And we can see how perhaps even Abraham, the first of those quotations, how that he took Hagar uh, as a, a second wife uh, in order to bring about the promise which God had given uh, not in God's way, but in his own way, or perhaps even in Sarah's way, for it was her suggestion that she take that he take uh, Hagar 
Sarah's servant uh, as a wife, that the child would be Sarah's in lieu of the fact that uh, Hagar belonged to her. That was not what the Lord was going to do. So we see a failing there, and we see other failings too, even though we come to the point where uh, Abraham has so much faith in God that, according to Hebrews, he was ready to sacrifice his son and received him back uh, in resurrection in a figure because he he had determined to go through with what the Lord had told him to do and still believed the promise that in his seed would all the nations of the earth be blessed. So they all have failings, but Joshua... Well, Joshua, we don't read of the failings of Joshua. Uh, I don't doubt that there were some uh, because there is no one perfect. But it is a wonderful thing to consider this. And if you read the uh, Septuagint, you will also find that the book of Joshua is the book of Jesus. Because Jesus is the Greek translation of the name Joshua. And so it actually starts with the actual word which we have in the Greek New Testament of Jesus. It's a tremendous thing because what we have in our in the presence of God with us is all for Jesus' sake. It is all for Christ's sake. If we have Christ, then we have the presence of God. And he has promised never to leave us nor to forsake us. How important it is then that we know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that we have called upon his name, that we have confessed our sins, that we have that repentance, that change of mind, that we should not follow after the world and the ways and the philosophies of the world, but after God and after his word and trust in Christ for our salvation instead of our own works. And the Lord Jesus has promised us that he will never leave us and he has promised us also that he has overcome the world. It's a tremendous blessing to know these things This citation uh, from the Old Testament is brought here that it might be set before us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Another thing which it brings to us, just uh, as an aside really, is the fact of of the use of the Old Testament. There are some in this day and age who don't particularly like the Old Testament. Uh, Some hardly read the Old Testament and they think the New Testament is all they need. But the Old Testament is used throughout the New Testament. And the Old Testament is the foundation of the New Testament. And the Old Testament is the word of God, as the New Testament is. It has many accusations against it by those who hate God and who hate the gospel and who hate Jesus Christ. But the the accusations will not stand. When we search the scriptures, we find that the things which are written there are historic. They are the things which occurred but we find that God is gracious and long-suffering, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. So here's a citation then, those five candidates, and this favoured case, the words spoken to Joshua. And just to say something else about this as well, which I have brought to your attention before, how often the Lord chooses the, the second. We know that the scripture speaks in the New Testament of the first Adam who brought us into sin and brought condemnation upon the world. And Jesus Christ, who is termed the second Adam, and it is the second Adam who has brought in salvation. It is Moses who is the first who brings the law and the condemnation because the law brings condemnation upon us and finds us all guilty. But it is Joshua who leads them into the promised land. 
And again, we see uh, that picture of how that God has chosen the second over the first for the blessing. Now we can see it also in Esau and in Jacob, how that Esau, uh, God says in, in Malachi, Esau have I hated, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now Esau was the firstborn. You remember how um, Jacob also, when Joseph brought the two sons to him, how that he crossed his hands and he blessed the younger above the elder. Again and again, the Lord chooses the second. Jesus Christ is the second Adam. Jesus Christ is the, the way, the truth, and the life. And God has blessed us in Christ. Then the second thing that I want to draw your attention to is the context here. And of course, the context are the verses which, are, which surround it. They seem to be almost verses which stand alone, as if they have been kind of stacked one on the other, uh, that they are just things and coming towards the end of the book, perhaps uh, that the, uh, uh, the um, manuscript is coming to its end. There's not much room left on it. And so there are other points which need to be made and we'll just put them in uh, very quickly uh, and they to be stacked in that way. But I don't think they are. There is a continuity here in these words in the fact that they speak of the unity of the people. The unity of God's people, the unity of the church or uh, the ecclesia, the, the, the called out. So in this unity, first of all, let brotherly love continue. So there is to be a unity. There is to be unity of the family of the of the people of God. We are uh, to continue in brotherly love one for another. And this love, of course, should bring us to pray one for another to forgive one another, to care one for another, to support one another. And that is the function of the body of Christ in this world, that we should look after one another. The second verse says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And as we said uh, just a couple of days ago, in fact, angels is that word angelos. And the word angelos means messenger. Sometimes it, it is used... Uh, usually, in fact, it is used of heavenly beings, but it is not always so. It can also be used of any kind of a messenger. In fact, it occurs in the word evangelism, uh, which is euangelion, and the word angel is there, a good message. And that's uh, uh, evangelism in English, but euangelion in Greek, and the word is there. So it is the message. And it could be then that what is being said here, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained messengers unawares. Messengers to ourselves, perhaps, but also messengers going forth with the gospel to preach it in the world. And accept those strangers who can tell what God will do with them and how the Lord will use them. We may not know what God will do, but nevertheless, we are to have that re receiving heart. Uh, and again, here is this unity, this inclusiveness. Then it says in verse 3, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. Again, a unity, this inclusiveness. Well, remember them, they are the ones who are bound, but we are bound with them because oh, their distresses are to be our distresses. Their prayers are to be our prayers. We are to weep with them with, that weep and rejoice with them that rejoice. So as bound with them. And then also uh, it says, and them which suffer adversity. 
as being yourselves also in the body. Here is this thought of the body once again. Ephesians 5 verse 30, the apostle says, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, to a different group, he writes, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care, one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. So here we have this thought of the body, this unity once again. And even closer unity, I would suggest, than a family. Uh, because we are members of one body. We work together. We, we work in consort together. And excuse the pun, but as we go on from the consort to the marriage, uh, here we have this marriage is, marriage is honourable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will, will judge. That seems to be a verse completely out of context, a bit like take a little wine for thy stomach's sake, thine often infirmities, which seems to be just plonked in the middle of something completely different uh, and completely out of place, as though somebody had found a, a little bit of text and thought, well, where shall I put this? I'll, I'll bung it in there. This verse seems like that. But when you read through the Old Testament, you find the, the, uh, the use of the marriage union so often taken as the union between Israel and God. And in the New Testament, of course, also we speak about the bride, the Lamb's wife. Revelation 21, verse 9, There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Ephesians as well, we read of the, of the church as being prepared uh, as a chaste virgin uh, for, the, for the Lord. And so there is this, this union again, but the union with Christ. And I think that this verse, although it stands by itself, of course, because uh, what the Lord says here is, uh, is a truism, marriage is honourable in all and the bed undefiled, uh, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge, I think that probably in the context that is held here, it is speaking about us wandering from God. It is, uh, is speaking about us being adulterers with the world, that we are whoremongers with the world, introducing the world into the church and introducing the wor world uh, into the body of Christ. Our marriage is a marriage to the Lord. We are his. He is ours. We are looking forward to that great glorious day when the Savior shall return. We see the picture in the scripture again of how uh, the, the virgins, uh, the, the, uh, the ten virgins are waiting with their lamps burning and some have oil and some have not. And they, uh, the bridegroom comes and they ha have no oil. They have to go and find it. They come back and it is too late. That picture is used. Uh, again, the Lord uses the parable of the, of the, <coughs> of the master who brings together uh, a great company uh, for the marriage of his son. Uh, and so this, this idea of the church and of being united to Christ, married to Christ, I think that that is what is being said here, that it is that we should not break this unity of the people to bring in the world or go after the world. I remember, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Then it goes on in verse 5 then, let your conversation or your behavior 
be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Let it be, let your behavior be without covetousness. And of course, covetousness and the, uh, and the whoremongery and adultery are the same, aren't they? They work together. Uh, we are not to covet our, our neighbor's wife or to covet uh, anything which is our neighbor's. And so it continues on from that. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Don't covet the world. Don't desire the things which are in the world. Don't seek to be rich. Riches bring all manner of problems with them, as we read uh, also in the pastoral epistles. But be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And here is the importance of that context. So here we see the sagacity, the wisdom of the apostle writing these things and speaking about this unity. And he brings it to this point of simplicity. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. But the point here is we don't need those other things. Let's have a unity together with Christ. And what else do we need? Because he has promised this. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You might be an adulterer, you may be a whoremonger following off after the world and leave God, but he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is faithful, that promised. And God will be with us and God will not leave us and God will not forsake us if we are his. And we see uh, how faithful he is in the Old Testament and how the, the, the Israelites of, of those days forgot him went a whoring uh, these are the words of the scripture a whoring after Baal and after Ashtaroth and after the gods of the lands and yet the Lord still sent the Lord Jesus Christ and what did Christ say I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel I will gather them to me they are my flock I am their shepherd and other uh, sheep have I which are not of this fold them also I will bring and there will be one fold and one shepherd and so the Gentiles are brought in too but first he goes to the Jews Paul uses those words doesn't he to the Jew first and also to the Greek so God's faithfulness is is very evident in the scripture our faithfulness to him however uh, is very uh, doubtful and uh, uh, quite often evident in the fact of the, the way that we follow after the world even the apostle Paul says when he would do good he finds evil is present with him he knows what it is to be uh, set, set before the things of the world and, and, to, and the lusts of his own heart to rise up within him after them but he keeps, says I keep my body under subjection lest after I preach to others I myself should be cast away and so we also need to have this in mind just remember then in the simplicity of this verse, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And just keep in mind that we ought to be able to say back to the Lord, Lord, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And the world which is for destruction holds nothing for me. I am content with such things as I have. Let's examine our hearts. Are we content with such things as we have? Are we content with Christ? Do we not know that the Lord will supply all our need according to his riches in glory? 
And then we see also in this context the intensity. So we've seen the sagacity, the wisdom, uh, which is here of the unity of the body. The simplicity of the text, I, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. But the intensity also, because in the Greek here we have many nots, I will not. I will never, it is translated here. But there are two words in the Greek, both meaning not or both meaning uh, both a negative, one after the other. I will no, not leave it, leave thee. Of course, in English, a double negative is a positive, but in Greek, a double negative is a strengthened negative. And here, there, there is a, a very powerful way of putting this across. I will never leave you. I will never leave you. And then when you come to the second, there are actually three words which are used, uh, ud, u, and may. Those three words, one after the other, nor in any way or in any wise forsake thee. I will never, ever leave thee, nor in any possibility forsake thee. These these, uh, strengthened words which are used here, show the intensity of the words which God gives to us. There is, there is no doubt here. There is no possibility of him leaving us or forsaking us. I will not. I will not. I will never leave thee. And I will not, nor will I. There is no way that I will forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We have this wonderful context of these words, which we need to keep in mind, which is why, of course, preaching on the word. You can have a motto and just put the words in, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, and that's a good thing. And if you take one of the fridge magnets, which we will uh, eventually have uh, available, and put it on your fridge, you'll see those words, and you'll remember, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But we'll remember the intensity of those words. We'll remember the, the context here of the marriage being honourable in all, and us being the Lord's and the Lord being ours. And he has said, I will never leave thee. And that perhaps we are the ones who are so likely to leave him being tempted by the situations of the world. And then finally, we have here this, uh, the comfort. And the comfort it comes, of course, of, first of all, in the veracity of the words, in the truthfulness of these words. These words are so sure, so sure in the, in the text which is used, the, these double and triple negatives which are given that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. So sure in the fact that we have uh, looked at the five candidates for the quotation five times, and the Lord is with those that he speaks to. The Lord was certainly with Abraham to the end, and he is spoken of in the New Testament and his faith, uh, a mark for us to set our standard by. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness and we saw Solomon there uh, because David says to him he will not fail thee nor forsake thee and the word fail is a word also in the Hebrew which means to leave so it, it is a, a word which is very similar in fact it's, it's um, 
the same, isn't it? In Joshua, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And here we know that Solomon was kept and that Solomon went to a, a great and old age. And it was his son, of course, who departed and decided to go his own way and cause the split up of the kingdom. But God was with Solomon to the end and never forsook him. And we know that the Lord didn't forsake his people either because the gospel came to them first, just as uh, it says. And of course, the Lord still hasn't forsaken his people because the gospel is still preached to them and the Lord still saves souls from amongst them. It is not uh, a fact that Jews cannot be saved. And the apostle Paul uses that exact thing. He says, well, I'm a Jew. Has God forsaken his people? Well, of course not. I'm a Jew. And if I'm a Jew, then God hasn't forsaken us. And if other Jews are being saved, then God obviously hasn't forsaken us. And so we find that God is faithful in these things. Of course, the Lord went with the people uh, in, in Deuteronomy also. And in all of these five, we find that God is faithful. The veracity of these words then, the honesty, the truthfulness, the trueness of these words must remain with us. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And we can take comfort in the certainty of that which is written. And then finally, the felicity. There's a word we don't use often. Usually it's a name these days. Uh, so somebody might be called felicity. But felicity means happiness. The happiness, the joy to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in this security that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. So that we may boldly say, he goes on, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Because... The Lord is my helper and he will not fail me and he will not forsake me and he will not leave me. These things are certain. The veracity of the words are certain. Just as Jesus often uses a, 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 a connected term, verily, verily, truly, truly, amen, amen, literally from the, from the Greek, amen, amen. It is certain, I say unto you. And here we have this trueness, this veracity and the sweetness which comes from it. The security that God will never leave us and the sweetness of the words that the Lord loves us, that the Lord loves us, that he has called us to himself because he has loved us before the foundation of the world, because he loved us and sent his son, and because he has redeemed us from sin, from wrath, from all that we have been and all that we are, that we might dwell in his presence and enjoy him forever. Or that the Lord would write these words upon our hearts, that we may not forget, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, is our mainstay throughout this world. And what needs to stay in our minds is our response to him, our reciprocation to him, that we might be able to say to him each day, Lord, help me. Lord, I determine that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee either. Thou art my husband. Thou art my joy. Thou art my salvation. And how important it is that we read the scriptures to find more about him, that he might indeed be all of those things to us. Because the more that is revealed of him, the more we love him, the more we desire him, 
the war, we see the benefits which are in him and the glory which is his and that which is promised to us also. There are wonderful words also in Isaiah 43 and verse 1. We'll finish with these. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honourable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And may the Lord bless these thoughts and these words to our hearts to uphold us throughout this year. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee, Lord, for the promise of thy word. We thank thee, Lord, for the truth of it. And we pray that we might set it before our eyes to remember and that we might seek each day to say unto thee, Lord, we will endeavour with all our heart not to leave thee nor forsake thee. But we thank thee, Heavenly Father, that for all of the weaknesses and all of the failings of all of the temptations which take our hearts and our minds, that thou hast promised this, and thou wilt not fail, that thou wilt never leave us, nor forsake us. Draw us then with the cords of love, we pray thee, that we might love thee also with our fullness of heart, that we might rejoice in the Lord our God, that we might praise thee and honour thee and live for thee, and that we might be content that thou art our God. Hear us, we ask, and bless us in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.